resolutions. Um, you don't have to tell us what they are, but anyone here making New Year's resolutions? I'm curious. Yes, maybe, no. Um, I have in the past. Have you made any this year? No. No. Uh, I like to do them the second week of January. <laughs> I'm a little bit of a pro- procrastinator. <laughs> that is totally okay. Yeah. You know, to be honest, I haven't settled on my New Year's resolutions this year either. In the past, I've had very tangible, very specific New Year's resolutions, like I'm going to do no sugar for a month, or I'm going to exercise three times a week, or I'm going to make my bed every day. Yeah, that still hasn't happened. But um, in the past, I've had very specific New Year's resolutions. And today, you know, I think my New Year's resolutions are going to be a little less specific, a little more, a little more nuanced, a lot more room for life to happen. Uh, maybe something like intentionally care for my physical body or um, choose life-giving activities when I can You know, often we think of New Year's as uh, a fresh start. It's January 1st, and so the the, the whiteboard is is completely wiped clean sort of thing that, like, we get to start over. And yet, from my experience of setting New Year's resolutions and then not actually following through with them, I've, I've learned that we bring our whole selves into the next year. It's not like we get to leave behind the parts that are unhealthy or the parts that we don't like and we get to be this completely different idealistic person. Rather, we bring our whole selves into the new years. And so it's a really good time at the beginning of the year to be reflective and to also be real with ourselves and, and to set goals that are a little more realistic. Yeah. The goal is a move towards health. I, I was reading an article this week about New Year's resolution, and it, it sounds like less and less people are making them. It seems a little less of a trend. Um, but that uh, within the first month of the year, uh, almost half of the people that have made them have uh, moved beyond them. Uh, there's very few New Year's resolutions left in the uh, second month, and certainly by the seventh month of the year. Um, so one of the things we want to talk about today is we talk about leading into a new year and, and moving towards health, both in our relationships with people and with God, uh, is to be realistic about uh, what our expectations might be of ourselves. Um, I think one of the challenges we face when we set New Year's resolutions and make that central to the new year is that once we've broken it, we feel released from it, right? It, it was something I tried, it didn't work, and so it's done altogether. I think we need to give ourselves a lot more permission to fail and to start again. To, to choose rhythms of health and when we fall short on them to pick, pick ourselves back up and to continue in some of the things we've committed to do in a new year. So today we're going to talk about some relational commitments we might make uh, towards people, towards God, some ways in the new year we might find a little bit more health. So we're going to begin a three-week series um, called Encountering God. And for the next three weeks, we're going to look, we want to look at the story of Elijah. And um, one of the things I love about the story of Elijah is that Elijah and the people in, in these stories that he encounters encounter God in a lot of different ways. So we'll see people encountering God in really mundane, ordinary, like daily tasks. And then we'll see these big, powerful, miraculous encounters with God, and then also encountering God in the quiet, in the still, in the gentleness. So as before we dive into the story of Elijah found in 1 Kings 17, we want to talk just briefly about the context. 
So at this point, Israel and um, uh, Israel's king is King Ahab, and Israel's had a long line of kings that have done evil in the eyes of the Lord, who's just really fallen short and led the country away from God. And so I want to read just a couple of verses from First Kings 16 starting in verse 30. And this is describing King Ahab. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. He was not a God follower. So King King Ahab was just totally off the track of following God. He also married um, Jezebel, who was strongly committed to worshiping Baal. And so the context of the story is that things are not going well. So as happens over and over in Israel, God raises up a prophet, someone to come and speak his word to the people. Uh, Typically, these prophets' jobs were not glamorous, not enjoyable. They were hated, often persecuted, and killed for what they would say to the people. The next prophet will be this man named Elijah, who's to go to this very wicked king and to call him out. It begins as um, uh, Elijah declares to uh, the king that there will be a drought throughout the land, a severe drought. Now, this is interesting, and it's important to note that Baal, the god that uh, Ahab and Jezebel are worshiping, um, is the god of rain and vegetation. So, God brings this prophet to the king saying, I am going to take away uh, this everything that Baal might have offered, right? I'm going to take off the table any... Uh, any hint that Baal is real or or in any sort of power in this situation, he says there will be a severe drought in the land. First Kings 17.1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe. I like that. That's kind of catchy. Uh, <laughs> Say that 10 times yeah. fast. <laughs> Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, uh, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. So God, said, God tells Elijah, now that you've uh, brought this message to the king, uh, your, your life is in danger. He says, I want you to go and hide away. So he sends him to this little brook uh, where um, God says, I've already instructed the ravens to feed you. So Elijah's to go and and hide away in this remote region, uh, drink from a brook, receive his food from the ravens that God will send while the drought begins to take root there in in the nation. I'm struck by how God's not afraid to make big asks of his people, you know, and he asked Elijah to to do something really big there for him. So we're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings 17, starting in verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, um, Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her. And asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, 
only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's a dire statement right there. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. Uh, but first, make a small loaf of bread for me, for what you have, um, from what you have, and bring it to me. And then make some for yourself and your son. Uh, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So the big picture here is that Israel, who um, had made a covenant with God, saying, I, we will be your people, you will be our God, we will follow you, we will follow your decrees and your laws. Israel has broken away from this covenant. And through King Ahab and Jezebel and a, and a bunch of other leaders and choices of their own, they have chosen to worship Baal. And so God is about to battle with this God, Baal, and, and specifically with the worship of Baal. And, um, and so we see here a story in this bigger picture, in the bigger context, that king after king has done evil and led the people further and further away. And now God is about to do something. It's like God says, okay, here, here I'm about to do something. Just wait and see. I'm going to show you who I am. And Elijah is going to be his spokesperson, his prophet. I love how unconventional the plans of God sometimes are. It began with Elijah sent to send a, give a message to a king that would surely get him killed. He flees to a little brook where he's fed by ravens. And eventually then that brook dries up. Have you ever been at that point in life, following God's guidance in life, and yet the brook dries up? There's nothing left. I feel unsustained. My life is at risk, or emotionally, I have just dried up entirely. I remember a season uh, in, in our lives um, where I'd been a youth pastor for some 12 years at that point, and we clearly sensed that God was calling us towards something new, um, and uh, we had to wait uh, for some time on exactly what God was God, what God was calling us towards. You're right. For, for years, uh, we were looking for that. And there was this, uh, short season of a year and a half or so where, um, I was offered a position directing the Martin Luther King Center out here in East Pasco, which is this beautiful little, um, uh, cooperation between the city of Pasco and the YMCA, um, in a neighborhood, this little gym, uh, that's run, um, for the neighborhoods that have been, um, through all sorts of trauma. Um, over, over the past decades. And I, I saw this opportunity and I was like, this is exactly what God has been preparing us for. I was so excited to be in this little pocket, in this little neighborhood with some sort of ministry context, bringing good news and providing safety and after school programs for children and all that. And, um, I won't go into the, the details of the how and why, but that lasted about a year and a half, uh, before I stepped down from that. It was clear that was not, uh, where we needed to be in that moment. Tommy, do you need one of these? Yep. All right. And uh, and it felt like what had 
been placed in our lap, this opportunity for something new and something really rich and really real, it felt like it had just dried up. God, why in the, why in the world did you lead us to this little brook uh, just so that it could dry up in this moment? It wasn't until years later that I get to look back on some of those experiences and see how those were steps in God's process for a number of reasons. First of all, to teach us to trust and to step out where he calls, but secondly, to equip in some really practical ways for what was ahead. And so here's Elijah sitting next to a stream, hiding, uh, scared for his life, and the brook dries up. So Continuing the story of an unconventional plan, God sends him to a nation that are Baal worshipers uh, to meet with a widow who can't even afford to feed her own child to then receive his sustenance from this woman. God sends him to a widow uh, to uh, receive the bread and all that he needs. And if we think back on the, the context and the, the history and, and the time and place that this is set in, it was really hard to be a widow in this situation. There was just little, little opportunity to make a living. Widows relied on their extended family to provide for them. And if their family, for whatever reason, weren't able or, or didn't provide for them, then they were just left destitute and desperate. And that's certainly the, the picture that we see here that, um, this widow had little opportunity to make a living for herself. And, and then the drought that happened made things much harder. Who, food was harder to come by. And so she's scraping at the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, each time she makes a meal. And then she finally realizes that this is it. This is the last of the ingredients. And after this, I just have no idea where I'm going to find food for myself and for my son. And it is in this moment that God intervenes. And I love seeing like the big picture of what God is doing. Like God is about to, to bring Israel back to him and he's going to battle this Baal, this, this false God that is being worshiped. So there's like this big picture plan that's unfolding, but also in the middle of that, God sees this one individual woman. He sees her need. He sees her desperation. And this woman who had nothing by society's standards, little status, certainly little, little to no means, and who is literally starving to death. God says, I see you, and I'm doing something big here, and I'm going to invite her, I'm going to invite this widow to participate in my plan. And in the process, God is going to provide for her. It's always fascinating and powerful to see who God uses in just miraculous and powerful ways in his stories. In this case, it mentioned uh, back in verse 8 that God had already directed this widow that Elijah was coming. And we don't get any more detail on how God uh, met with her and what her response might have been. But apparently she had been prepared. Did you have something to say about it? Yeah, just that um, in verse 12 there, she says to Elijah, as surely as the Lord your God lives. That's what I was going to say. She yeah. references your 
her God. God had in some way met with her that she knew a little bit of what was coming. She was prepared in some respect. Elijah comes and asks her for bread. And what's fascinating to me about this interaction is they're both in a place of trusting in God. Like their only hope in this moment is to trust in what God has for them, what God's plan is for them. This woman uh, would otherwise starve, have nothing to feed her family. She has to trust in God not only to feed uh, her family, but now this other man who uh, in, in normal cultural circumstances, someone should have been taking care of her. And yet he, here she is expected to care for a man from another nation. Uh, and there's Elijah trusting in God, going where God leads him and going to there. And I think it's fascinating to notice the order of, of the way this flour and bread would work. Uh, Elijah says, uh, no, I want you to feed me first uh, and then go back and just trust that there will be enough flour in that jar to feed you and your family. Wouldn't it have been so much simpler to say, just make us all some bread or uh, to say, go and feed your family and what's left bring to me. And yet it goes the other way. It's like this ultimate ask of trust. I want you to go ahead and do what the Lord has said. Make this bread for me and trust that when you go back, you will have more. I love this idea of a jar that never runs out. In this new year, as we know, challenges will come and they'll be emotional and they'll be physical and spiritual. We'll have troubles at work. This idea that if we will faithfully step into what God has asked us to do, there is an invitation to go back and find more that we will be refilled. As we continue to read in the story, we realize that Elijah stays with this woman for three years. Three years. This widow chooses daily to follow God's instructions. Daily, she chooses to host Elijah. Daily, she chooses to make the bread with a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil that's left in her pantry. And I love this, this image of this woman making bread in her over the fire each day because it's such a simple, ordinary task. It's not flashy. It's nothing extravagant. Bread was just one of the staples. And so everyone made bread. And so every day, this woman chose to make that little bit of bread. And it was an, an ordinary task that was a huge act of faith and an act of obedience. In choosing to host Elijah and to feed him, this widow would experience God's daily provision. It's quite literal, literally an example of Jesus's prayer, give us today our daily bread. Mm, absolutely. So we want to ask today, as we enter into this new year, as we consider what it will look like, um, what are small, simple, daily acts of faith and obedience that might bring uh, more opportunity in our lives that might allow us to go deeper in the lives and relationships of people that might invite us to go deeper in our relationship with God? What are the simple acts of faith and obedience that we might live into in the year to come? As it relates to each other, um, a couple things uh, have been um, impressed upon me this week as I've been thinking about it. One uh, being just words of encouragement. 
What if each day I chose to be really specific and intentional about offering words of encouragement to someone in my life, right? And it might start in our household. It might extend to coworkers or something like that. But each day I will be intentional about locking eyes with a person or maybe it's writing a handwritten card or something like that. But I will be very intentional about speaking words of encouragement into the lives of people around me. Uh, What if we chose the small act of just loving intentionally our family, you know, going that extra mile, doing that extra chore, giving that extra hug, uh, whatever it looks like in our lives. What if we allowed these daily small acts of obedience to really enrich our relationships and our lives? It would make a huge difference in our relationships with people as as we commit to doing those small things that mean a whole lot over a long period of time. In our relationship with God, it's similar. You know, often we we want this big, big miracle. And, and I believe in a God who does big miracles. And yes, God does that. And also... Um, we get to encounter God and engage God in the small, ordinary ways. I'm thinking of, of ways that we open ourselves up to God, that we're vulnerable before God, that we spend time with God, different practices of prayer. And my definition of prayer is, is very, very, very wide. It's, it's not maybe what you would traditionally define as prayer, but maybe it looks like a silent still, stillness before God. Maybe it looks like taking a walk and having a conversation with God. Maybe it's confessing sin and then holding our hands out and receiving his love and his grace for us and sitting in that grace and love. Maybe it looks like crying out to God and lamenting the pain and suffering that we're experiencing or seeing around us. Or maybe it's singing and dancing in celebration before God, knowing that he sings and dances over us. I wonder what habits, what rhythms will we cultivate this year to draw us closer to God? What habits, what rhythms will we choose intentionally to foster um, ourselves opening up before God? Absolutely. On the subject of prayer practices, uh, some of us, uh, prayer can be intimidating. It can be vague, not know exactly where to go or how to begin. Um, there's two apps that Sarah and I both have on our phones um, that are really helpful in leading us in prayer. If you if you choose to do some sort of time of meditation, um, the two are Lectio 365, uh, Lectio 365, and Pray As You Go. And uh, both of those are fairly similar. They'll bring us through the liturgical calendar. They'll invite us into moments of reflection and silence and lead us in prayer. If you're interested in something like that, feel free to grab us and, and we can give you some other resources and ideas on what that might look like. Daily small acts of faith and obedience that lead us into the presence of God, that invite us to know more of Him. Similarly, in our lives, we're invited to 
to uh, care uh, for the needs of others. We see this widow from another nation caring for Elijah who's going to do revolutionary things in the nation of Israel, but only because of the hospitality of the grace, the small acts of faith and obedience of a woman from another nation. So the invitation today as we enter a new year is to consider what are rhythms in my life? What are acts of faith and obedience that I can work into daily rhythms that might draw me into deeper relationship with people and with God.